Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the 20th Century Movie Club as uh, part of the Dana Buckler Show. I am your co-host, Mike Scott, um, and we're going to do something a little different. This is volume 26, and most of you will have noticed that we took a bit of a break. And the reason for that is just because, quite frankly, Dana is uh, incredibly busy, and we had a couple of series that we wanted to do. Hopefully you all checked out our Terminator and Rambo series. But we're going to be moving forward with more episodes of this. Dana will join us when he can, but if he cannot, then I will be hosting them. Now, I know y'all don't want to just listen to me ramble on, so I thought of some people that I could call in for assistance. And for this first episode back, I could think of no one that I wanted to talk to more than my friend Daniel Epler. So I have asked him to join us for this. Uh, Daniel, how are you doing tonight? Hey, man, I'm doing really good. I'm super excited to be here. I've been a big fan of the Dana Buckler show and the 20th Century Movie Club for for several years now. So this is a little bit of a dream come true for me. I'm pretty psyched. Well, I'm happy to help, my friend. For those who don't know, Daniel is the creator and host of the Cobwebs podcast, a gothic horror podcast. Why don't you tell us a little bit about Cobwebs, Daniel? Yeah, so Cobwebs is uh, really focused on classic horror movies, uh, gothic horror movies. We're pretty liberal with the genre. Anything that I consider spooky and fun, we cover. But I would definitely say we cover Hammer Horror and uh, and probably Vincent Price more than anything else. I just got super into like these old classic horror movies. Uh, I mean, I've always been into them, but I got particularly obsessed two or three years ago. And I, I guess I just felt a little bit alone in that, which might sound weird. I just, I guess the podcasts that I was listening to just weren't as obsessed with these movies as I was. So I started it to share my love for these movies and to connect with like-minded people. And I really have. I've been super fortunate to talk to really cool people. You know, like I'm making the podcast that I would want to listen to. I want to hear the great Michael Scott talk about Curse of the Werewolf. So I made that happen. And I do appreciate that for those who haven't heard, Daniel was gracious enough to have me come on and talk about a very sweaty Oliver Reed on Curse of the Werewolf, and and we had a great time. So uh, he was one of the very first people that I thought about having to join me as a guest. Um, Now... That being said, for those who haven't listened to this series for a while, quick refresher on how the game works. We will each be picking three movies from before the year 2000 uh, that we will recommend that people see if they haven't seen them. Dana developed this series because he was noticing that some of the younger folks that he worked with just didn't watch movies from the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. And so we're trying to bring some light back to some of those movies for people who maybe just are a little younger and haven't watched them. And one of the things that we always do is we allow the guests to pick the theme. Now, Daniel has a very spooky podcast, so we expected him to pick a spooky theme. He did not. Daniel, what are we talking about tonight? So we are talking about romantic comedies. I picked romantic comedies because, you know, well, the genre certainly has always had its fans. It's been enduring. I mean, it probably started back with Charlie Chaplin, maybe even before that. And it's waxed and waned a little bit in popularity. But 
I just think it's one of the least appreciated genres among like cinephile communities. I, I just noticed that a horror movie or an action movie can be just okay, but still be really appreciated in cinephile communities and we can really embrace it. And I noticed that less with romantic comedies, which which makes me a little sad because I, I really love these movies. You know, I think a decent, okay action movie can really be saved by really kick-ass action sequence, but I think a decent rom-com can really be saved by charismatic actors. And Michael, I think we're going to be talking about actors a lot today. I think I've just reached a point in my film watching hobby that I've gotten a little less interested in great acting than I am interested in like charming charismatic movie stars. And for me, romantic comedies are such a highlight reel for movie stars to just really turn on the charm and really shine. And and these kind of movies are just very very fun and they're fun for they're fun to unwind uh, when times are intense like they are these days. And I thought it would be, I just thought it'd be really fun to talk about some rom-coms. Yeah, I love this. I love this theme. I love this topic because I too have a ton of appreciation for romantic comedies. I actually just watched one. My wife was watching one today and I caught the end of it. And it's, it was called Life As We Know It. It came out in 2010. It's not a great movie. It's Katherine Heigl and Josh Dumal. There's a lot wrong with it, but damn it, if they just weren't delightful to watch for 95 <laughs> minutes, you know? And, and and that, to me, is so much of what makes a good and bad romantic comedy. If you really like the actors, and you're right, I think actors and actresses, and, and I'm just going to say actors, and that's gender neutral. That's what makes a romantic comedy. The best ones have great dialogue and, and a good plot, but at the end of the day, if you give me some pretty people who have chemistry together and are charming and likable by themselves and man i'm not gonna lie i'm pretty much all in like i'm i'm there i I think it's a it's an underappreciated genre and i love that you brought up action movies because as you know i am an action guy and i think you are right that i feel like romantic comedies get maligned the way that van damme or sean bradley or michael dudikoff movies got maligned 20 years ago and now there's this whole wave of people who appreciate 80s and 90s action movies not just the big ones and i'm kind of hoping we get that again for romantic comedies because i think it's a genre that's worthy of it Yeah, definitely. I'm so excited to hear that you're interested in this because I really, I did not think that you would have a problem with this theme because you're like me, you're interested in all kinds of movies, but I still didn't know. I didn't know how you stand on this genre. I'm super pumped to hear you're excited about it too. Yeah, man. So let's get into it. What is your first recommendation? All right. I really love old movies. I mean, you know, my podcast is particularly focused on old movies and I noticed that the 1930s and 40s was the really big time when the absolute best of the best talent in Hollywood was going into romantic comedies. That's very rarely happening now, but it was very, very common back in the day. So I'm going to hit a really, really big classic. It's one of my favorite directors, Howard Hawks. It's two of my favorite actors. It's a movie from 1938 called Bringing Up Baby. So Bringing Up Baby is a screwball comedy. Uh, Now, a screwball comedy is a genre that was really, really big back in this time. It's kind of a satire of love. It's almost spoofing the uh, whole romantic process. Oftentimes, the female is very dominant in the relationship, and the masculinity of the man is somewhat challenged. It's really characterized by fast, snappy dialogue and a lot of zany misadventures. And everything that I just said just fits Bringing Up Baby to a T. So this is a movie about a very nervous and tight 
rewound paleontologist named David, who's starring Cary Grant, who's got to be one of my absolute favorite actors to star in this kind of movie. Uh, He's trying to obtain a million dollar grant for his museum. And along the way, he's constantly bumping into this very uninhibited and free spirited woman named Susan, who is played by one of my all time top movie crushes, Catherine Hepburn. And she keeps dragging him along in her various misadventures that she gets into at first by accident, but eventually by design just to keep him around because he is engaged and the lead being engaged or married to the wrong person is a is a big trope in this genre and and they really hit it very on the nose here where his fiance just straight up says i see our marriage as an investment in your work or something like that so there's no howard hawks is not hiding how much we're not supposed to care if Cary grant ends up with that woman but the, the film really takes a crazy turn when it starts revolving around a leopard named Baby. And at a certain point, the movie becomes about David and Susan trying to catch this leopard, trying to keep it contained and under control. And the movie just gets really weird and wild. It actually wasn't a successful movie when it came out, but it's it's a very much a classic now. I think it's one that people should see because it's just so funny. I mean, it might be one of the funniest movies that I've seen. I watched this oh, just recently after, I'll just say, a particularly brutal news cycle of a lot of sad and scary things. And this movie was such great escape. It's such a fun old movie that is aged really, really well because it's so funny. And Cary Grant and Katherine Hepburn have incredible chemistry on screen together. And I I just love it so much. Have you seen this one? Absolutely. This is a perfect recommendation because I love this movie. I think it's absolutely hilarious. It is not, no spoilers, it is not my favorite Howard Hawks Cary Grant movie because we are going to talk about that. Um, And I will actually say when you were giving your sort of intro on this, I really thought for a good second there that you were going to be the very first person to. (laughs) uh, For those who don't know, folks, when we have guests on, we always ask them to pick four movies so that we have a wild card in case two of us pick the same movie. And man, you started talking and you were so damn close. (laughs) that I really thought I really thought you were going to be our first wild card we've never had to have one yet I love this movie it is I think truly one of the funniest movies that has ever been made Grant and Hepburn I, I will admit for a long time I wasn't actually the biggest Catherine Hepburn fan because she's such a large personality she's got that voice in when you're kind of getting into movies you know you think of the parody of Catherine Hepburn a lot of times before you think of the actual Catherine Hepburn I will say this movie was a big component in me realizing that she was a goddamn gift and we were lucky to have her I think this is an absolutely fantastic recommendation I love this movie if if anybody hasn't seen it folks who listen know I like to try and recommend classic movies where I can because I think people don't appreciate the work that was being done in the 30s and 40s especially once the Hayes Code started really constraining people the dialogue and the the ways that they sort of backdoored adult themes into movies uh, and Howard Hawks was one of the masters of it is really just something to behold I, I just think this is a great recommendation. 
Nice. Yeah, Cary Grant and Katherine Hepburn very much became prestige actors, very successful, very respected. Uh, but this was a time very early when Cary Grant was just getting started. Katherine Hepburn was not known for being good at the box office, so it was a little bit of a gamble to cast her. But they're so young, they're so funny and charming, and there's this great sequence where they're at this fancy club, and Katherine Hepburn accidentally rips the back of her dress, and the entire back of her dress is now off. And she's talking so much that Cary Grant can't get a word in edgewise to tell her, so he just awkwardly falls following her around trying to cover up her backside and it's it's absolutely hysterical this is such a fun movie yeah it's fantastic that leads me to say that it's really only appropriate to make my first recommendation which is also a howard hawks movie starring Cary grant that was released two years after bringing up baby and this was the one that i thought you were going to um, but i'm glad we get to recommend two of them instead it is the 1940 film based on the Ben Hecht and Charles MacArthur play The Front Page, starring Cary Grant and Rosalind Russell. Russell, It is uh, His Girl Friday. For those who don't know, His Girl Friday is possibly the fastest movie ever made. And what I mean by that is the dialogue comes at such a pace. People always hold up Aaron Sorkin movies for their fast dialogue and everything like that. Man, Sorkin on his best day, and I like Sorkin, but Sorkin on his best day can't hold a candle to this movie. Cary Grant plays Walter Burns, an editor for a newspaper who basically learns that his ex-wife, Hildy Johnson, played by Rosalind Russell, is about to marry the blandest dude on the face of the earth and one of the things we'll probably talk about a lot daniel is the uh the sort of other man in rom the other man and the other woman in romantic comedies because they're almost inevitably just dull 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 and ralph bellamy is dull in this movie but ultimately what happens is there is a big story going on and i don't want to get into too many spoilers about what the deal is but the question becomes somebody might have been wrongly convicted of murdering somebody and Hildy and Walter have to over the course of essentially one night crack this story write it and do what they do in romantic comedies Daniel have you seen His Girl Friday? Yes I always say that it's tied with Rio Bravo for my favorite Hawks movie I I love it to death I mean it's just perfect man it's so good i don't know what else to ask you other than tell me why you love it so much oh sure yeah i i only picked bringing a baby because i just recently watched it and it's just i so much fun i want to talk about it but i i would have to agree that his girl friday is the superior movie uh, you know Cary grant he has two modes that i love so much he the uh goofy comedic guy which he very much is and bring a baby that i think he does well but i also love his just super hard-nosed ultra professional uh version and he's very much that in this movie and in only angels have wings and i love that mode for him um yeah the the dialogue is incredible it's insanely fun to watch I don't talk about old movies to to be pretentious or to sound smart. I swear I don't. I just think old movies are fun to watch and they're very easy to watch for me. And this is a big one for that. And Rosalind Russell, you know, she's the template for Lois Lane. She always has been. She always will be. And uh, I love Ralph Bellamy. I love him anytime he pops up in anything. He's great in The Wolfman. He's great in this. The cast is just bulletproof here. I love the line, again, without getting into too many into spoilers, when Cary Grant's asking somebody to like 
find his character, find Bruce. And he's like, he looks like that actor. Um, oh, right, <laughs> Ralph Bellamy. Like, it just, there, there is so much going on in this movie. And if you haven't seen it, you, I promise you, you can't even comprehend the dialogue. I showed this last year to my wife, Kelsey, and her jaw was just open the entire time at how fast everybody was talking and she was just in awe of how talented everybody has to be to try and take on the dialogue in this movie i mentioned it was it's based on a play uh by hector MacArthur. i've actually seen and, and that play has been filmed several times as the front page and uh most i think probably most recently the one with walter Matthau and jack lemon um but what's interesting is in the play hildy's actually a man and i i, I think the thing that makes this movie excel above the source material is like you said daniel is rosalind russell she is lois lane she is every strong hard-boiled female reporter that we've ever seen in movies can be tied back to rosalind russell in this movie and she is just phenomenal in it you know one of the things i think with romantic comedies is whatever your persuasion might be you need yourself to fall in love with one of the characters and if you're like me you're a straight cis male i don't understand how you couldn't just fall in love with rosalind russell in this movie she's just luminous in it she is so two things real quick before we move on from this one one thing i do love about ralph bellamy in this and it's something that i i really like when romantic comedies do is when they make the wrong man or sometimes the wrong woman still a good person still a good choice just the wrong choice and ralph bellamy is such a genuinely sweet guy in this another movie that i think does that really well is sweet home alabama with patrick dempsey great guy just not the right guy for for the leading lady of that movie and uh i love that about this movie another thing i i I, there's a there's an idea that i've heard thrown out that the end of this movie kind of rips a little bit of strength away from rosalind russell's character i was wondering if you have any thoughts about that first i want to say i do agree with you i think i i call it sort of the bill pullman rule Right, oh, yeah. because because Bill Pullman in Sleepless in Seattle is kind of the epitome of the good guy, just the wrong guy. And I agree with you on on Sweet Home Alabama. Patrick Dempsey's totally fine. Although I will say, man, you can't compete with Josh Lu- Josh Lucas's eyes. Sorry, <laughs> you those no nobody's competing with Josh Lucas. I think that complaint is arguably a. A valid complaint because of the time the movie was made. But I will also say that I think the ending of the movie, and uh, just really quick, folks, because I can't talk about this without mentioning spoilers. So if you haven't seen it, I'm going to give some spoilers here really quick. Uh, it's a romantic comedy. They're not known for their twists and turns. You can probably figure out how the movie's <laughs> going to end. But skip ahead, I don't know, a minute if you if you don't want spoilers. At the end of the day, I still think Hildy, as much as she loves Walter, she loves her job more. And so I don't think it deprives her strength because I think that it is 
she wants to be on the front lines doing this just as much as Walter does. I think she's, they've created a character where she thinks she needs to be this because it's 1940. They can't just have a, a female character who is just happy being single and doing her job. That's just not how movies under the Hayes Code works. I think it's a valid complaint, but I think it's a unnuanced complaint of a movie that maybe has more nuance than people are giving it credit for, if that makes sense. What do you think? Yeah, I agree with you. And there, there's this idea that I don't like, and I'm not claim i'm not putting this idea on anyone who who has the complaint that i just mentioned because like a very good friend of mine does who i have a lot of respect for but there's this idea that if we're gonna have a strong female character then we don't give her love and romance and i think a lot of times that comes from male writers because we we have strong male characters all the time who have love and romance and we don't bat an eye at it and it's one reason that i love Wonder Woman so much. I I just adore that movie, and it's about an incredibly strong and badass female protagonist, but it's also, for me, one of the most romantic superhero movies I've seen, and and that was one of the reasons that it connected with me so much. So yeah, I think a woman wanting love does not take strength away because it doesn't for men either because we want we want love too don't we mike <laughs> we do and and i agree with you i think that's that's aptly put and and look like i'm with you i've had i've heard this criticism and i i think it's 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 a criticism worth examining but i think it's one that and and i really think you hit the nail on the head so many of these things happen because they're from male screenwriters wonder woman was a a combination uh writing team but most importantly directed by patty jenkins and i'm with you i you and i have talked before about how much we love that movie i think this is and this is one of the things i love about recommending these classic movies is for me every time i watch them when i hit some like e moments all it does is reinforce my belief that we need more diversity and more unique voices in Hollywood making these movies because then these things don't happen. Criticisms aside, I don't think you can take away from the fact that this is just as close to a perfect romantic comedy as probably has ever been made. Totally agree. Hit the nail on the head. All right, man. Movie number two. What's your next pick? Yeah, movie number two. So uh, I'm staying in this period. In fact, I'm picking a movie that's from the very same year that you just picked a movie from, 1940. Guess it was a great year for this genre. But th- this really was a time that I I love for romantic comedy. So I had to pick a couple. Now, every year, I, I love at the end of the year putting together a top 10 list for the movies that came out that year. I don't know if that's going to happen this year. So I feel like I'm probably going to make one for new discoveries, movies that I saw for the first time. And this is going to be near the very top of the list. I picked this movie up in the last Barnes & Noble Criterion Sale, and it's just one of my favorite things now. It's a movie called The Lady Eve, directed by Preston Sturgis. So, uh, interesting thing about Preston Sturgis, he was actually a, a very early writer-director auteur. You know, sometimes we cinephile nerds, we look down upon journeyman directors, but back in the day, pretty much everyone was a journeyman director, but Preston Sturgis was an early auteur. Uh, this is a movie starring Henry Fonda, 
I, I love Henry Fonda. He's the quintessential American male of this time period. But he stars a little bit against type. He's a young man from a very rich family who just got back from a long expedition in the Amazon studying snakes because he's from a rich family, but he's not interested in all that high society stuff. He's a, kind of a weirdo nerd who loves to study snakes. And he's on a luxurious trip back home, though. And he meets Jean, played by Barbara Stanwyck. And uh, along the way, uh, she is with her father, by the way, who are con artists. Basically, what they do is they buddy up to rich men. Generally, Barbara Stanwyck does the dirty work of buddying up. And uh, they fleece them for thousands of dollars in cards because they're really professional card players. And uh, they have a great way that they meet. Every woman on this boat wants to meet and, and get with Henry Fonda because he's a young, handsome man from a very rich family. So why wouldn't you? And she trips him, but makes it out to where like he was clumsy and he broke the heel of her shoe. And she demands that he take her downstairs to her room to change. And this whole part of the movie is where we get into very typical romantic comedy territory, a little bit more emphasis actually on the romance, because of course, even though she's starting this to con him, uh, she does fall in love with him for real, and he does fall in love with her. And this whole part of the movie is very, very romantic and actually pretty sexy. I was surprised by the sexuality of this movie from 1940. It just kind of has to be seen to believe, so I, I recommend it if only for that. But of course, because, you know, it's a movie, con artistry has to be revealed, and uh, he finds out what's going on, and he rejects her rather coldly, and this really makes her angry, and the rest of the movie is her uh, very creatively, in a very entertaining way, getting revenge, and I won't spoil this part of the movie, and that's where the movie really leans harder into the comedy, and it's very, very funny. The movie gets a lot of mileage just out of Henry Fonda's character character being clumsy and tripping and getting things spilled on him and it all sounds very lowbrow stupid comedy but i don't know henry fonda makes it work it's funny every time it just really works this is another screwball comedy with great fast dialogue i i watched it with my wife who's not uh, she loves romantic comedy she's not as much of an old movie fan as i am she likes some but the dialogue was even a little bit fast for her so i don't know that i'll be showing her his girl friday anytime soon but it's it's a very funny movie and just barbara stanwick is such a movie star in this movie i you know i talk about how actors really have the chance to shine and be charismatic in these movies but it's rarely to the degree of barbara stanwick in this movie it just has to be seen to be believed i i love her and you know henry fonda love him and stuff like my darling clementine and once upon a time in the west but he is fun as the hapless romantic comedy lead as well and uh, i love this movie i'm super happy to have it on criterion blu-ray H- have you seen this one mike I actually have not seen this one. It's, you know, I saw you tweeting about it and we talked a little bit about just the glory that is Barbara Stanwyck. I mean, she just was a radiant actress, but uh, I've seen some Preston Sturgis movies, you know, listeners uh, stay tuned because at some point Sullivan's Travels will will end up uh, as a recommendation, uh, but I haven't seen this one. So I'm, I'm kind of excited because uh, most of the time, I have seen a lot of the movies that people recommend. It's it's pretty rare that I haven't seen one. And so I think I'm going to end up queuing this one up in the next couple of days and make sure I watch it because it just sounds exactly like you know what we were talking about with His Girl Friday. You mentioned why this was such a golden age of the romantic comedies. And again, I think it's because the Hayes Code for all that was wrong with it it really forced people to be creative. And so we really got 
a lot of sexy movies around this time. And and they're sexy in a way that we wouldn't consider movies to be sexy now, but they still are. Innuendos and double entendres and and just the way people interact is really something that I think the 30s, the late 30s and 40s just did better than we do now. And so I'm I'm really excited to watch this one. I'm glad you recommended it. Oh, you're going to have so much fun because, you know, I love Barbara Stanwyck in a lot of movies. Double Indemnity, you mentioned it's your favorite noir. It's my favorite, too. But for me, this is her greatest showcase. This is my favorite Stanwyck. So, yeah, if, if you like her, get excited. You're going to have a blast. Yeah, it's been on the list for a long time. I just, you know, sometimes there's movies you just, you wait and you wait and you wait to watch and you never get around to it. And you need somebody to kind of kick you in the ass and get you going. So you recommending it is exactly the ass kicking I needed. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'll reach out to you as soon as I watch it. Let you know what I thought. Nice. All right, so I am going to set the Wayback Machine forward uh, about... 55 years from my last recommendation, we're going to go all the way to 1995 with one of my favorite romantic comedies uh, starring one of my absolute favorite actresses who I think would have been completely at home in the 1940s, but managed to bring that same style and verve and sensibility into the 90s. And so my next pick is going to be the 1995 John Turtletop directed Sandra Bullock starring film While You Were Sleeping. One of just my absolute favorite romantic comedies. For those who have never seen it, Sandra Bullock plays Lucy, who works as a uh, token taker for the Transit Authority in Chicago, and she's got this mad, almost stalkerish crush on Peter Gallagher, who she sees every day. He falls onto the train tracks, she saves him, but he ends up in a coma due to a very 1930s screwball-esque comedy of errors his family believes that she's his fiance and she can't tell them so she just tries to play it out which would have been fine except for the fact that the aforementioned bill pullman plays his brother uh who is everything a romantic leading man should be in this movie and god love this movie for giving bill pullman the chance to do that daniel have you seen while you were sleeping michael it's happened this was my last pick Really? That yes, was it? it is. Oh, this is it. <laughs> holy. Ladies and gentlemen, we have had to implement the wild card clause on volume 26 of the uh, 20th Century Movie Club. Um, so, Daniel, hopefully you've got a wild card. I'm sorry for snaking that from you. <laughs> But I'm guessing you're going to have a lot to say about it. Yeah, uh, I do have a wild card, so absolutely no worries. And you brought it up, so I still get to talk about it. So what's the big deal? So while you're sleeping, I would probably say, aside from horror movies and aside from the first two Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies, I've probably seen this more than any other movie. I don't know why, but ever since I was a kid, I've loved this movie. I, I watched, I, I've watched it over and over again for almost as long as I can remember. And I think the reason that I keep coming back to it and I, I still get so much out of it every single time, even though I have it memorized, which normally I, I, I with most movies, I wouldn't. It's it's the actors. The actors in this movie are unbelievable. And it's not just Sandra Bullock, Bill Pullman, who are incredible in this. And their chemistry is off the charts. 
this movie is just jam-packed with amazing character actors. You've got Peter Boyle as Bill Pullman's dad, Jack Warden as their godfather. Uh, you've got Glennis Johns, who is the mom in Mary Poppins. She's the grandma. Uh, you've got the ever-dependable character actor, Michael Rispoli, as um, Sandra Bullock's neighbor, Joe Jr., who was the funniest thing in the world went to me when I was a kid, and I still love him. He's just the most ridiculously stereotyped Italian guy in the world, but... <laughs> He gets a lot of comedy out of him. And then also, one of my favorite things about this movie is Peter Gallagher. I'm a huge fan of Peter Gallagher. Anytime he shows up in anything, I'm happy. And his performance is so funny here. I think it's a genuinely incredible comedic performance because he is unconscious most of the movie, and that's the point. But of course, he wakes up at some point, and he's just so clueless. Uh, It's great because him and Bill Pullman are brothers, but they're so different because Bill Pullman is that sort of man's man, blue-collar guy you know, just your average regular guy. And he does a great job doing that. And Peter Gallagher is the very rich high society lawyer, but he's just so clueless, especially when he wakes up from his coma. And, uh, I, I just genuinely love him in this movie. So it's also a little bit of a Christmas movie. So if, if you want to wait till December to check it out, you know, maybe do so. I do like to watch it around Christmas, but um, I gave it a rewatch last night preparing for the podcast. And I, I don't care that I that I have it memorized. I, I love it every time. I love the score. The score is not necessarily a great score, but it's it's super nostalgic for me. I love all the piano in it. And uh, I love everything about While You're Sleeping. This was a great pick, man. Yeah, obviously, great minds, man. Um, I just, I'm with you. I, I think this is a, you know, Glennis Johns, I'm glad you brought her up because she had a one-two punch within a couple of years of two of my absolute favorite Christmas movies. Uh, this and two years before she did The Ref. Unfortunately, due to other cast members of The Ref, that is a movie that maybe people don't want to watch now. But prior to that, it was uh, one of my favorite Christmas movies. But she was just in both roles, just delightful, playing completely different people. Jack Warden in one of his last roles is great. I'm with you. I share your love of, of Peter Gallagher. The, the, how can you not just be enraptured by the eyebrows? <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, he's just, he's so clueless. Uh, and, and Bill Pullman's so reserved in this. And, and, you know, we're literally one year away from him playing the president in Independence Day. Like, this was kind of the the year of Pullman. But at the end of the day, as great as I think the cast is, what really makes this movie is just the hurricane of charisma that is Sandra Bullock in this movie. I'm not sure. I know she won an Oscar for Blindside. I know she's been in a lot of other movies, a lot of which I love. I honestly am not sure she's ever been better than she is in this movie. This is a... A legend. I, I I don't want to engage in hyperbole. I think this is a legendary performance from one of our best, most likable actresses of the last thirty years. I I just think she carries this entire movie on her shoulders. And if you haven't seen it and you wonder why people give a shit about Sandra Bullock, she did Speed the year before, and then she did this one, and that one two punch is why because she's just perfect in both movies. So I'm glad we both picked this one. I'm glad we finally got to cross off a wild card uh, on this podcast. It's Do I get a, a prize? 
I, yeah, you know what? I'll figure out something. I'll send you something. Um, but, uh, you know, I actually kind of, because you and I are fairly simpatico in movie taste. So I actually yeah. had a hunch this might be uh, the episode where it happens. So um, with that said, uh, unless you have anything else to say about while you were sleeping. Uh, just that it's directed by John Turtletop, who made National Treasure, and that's also super underrated. It is also super underrated. I am inclined to also argue that Phenomenon, a movie that a lot of people don't like and that I think at a script level is an abject failure, is also underrated just simply because Turtletop gets one hell of a performance out of John Travolta in that movie. Um, It's not one that I think I would ever recommend on this show, but it's one that if people haven't seen, I think it's worth checking out. Have you ever seen Phenomenon? Yeah, years ago, I you know, I put it on from Netflix with, you know, no investment in what it was, just to, you know, it looked watchable as John Travolta. I remember liking it. I don't remember much specifics, but I remember being entertained. Yeah, it it, it he just Turtle Tub is never a director that's gonna just dazzle you, but if you give him good material, he's gonna give you a good movie. Um I actually just watched again, we just watched not to get too off track a couple weeks ago, we've Rewatched Cool Runnings, which was his first big movie, which I uh, think at some point will end up as a recommendation because that movie is just goddamn delightful. But since I made you exercise a wild card, uh, why don't you tell us what your next pick is? All right. Well, it's it's going to be funny to people that this was a wild card because it is such a towering titan of this genre, but it's a movie that deserves to be discussed. So I'm glad I get to shout it out. And, you know, I'm glad you, you covered a movie from the 90s because the 90s really had a big resurgence of romantic comedies, you know, partly because of Julia Roberts in 1990. But I would say, most importantly, this resurgence happened because of Nora Ephron. Because in 1989, uh, she wrote the classic When Harry Met Sally. And that's my pick. It's, you know, I said earlier that I love romantic comedies of the 30s and 40s because it was a very rare time in Hollywood history where the best talent possible was going into rom coms. This was a rare example of a modern movie where the best talent possible went into it. It's directed by Rob Reiner when he was just on a roll of making some uh, so many of the best movies you've ever seen. You know, it was written by Nora Ephron, who I think writes an astounding screenplay here. It's so well done. And it's starring Billy Crystal and Meg Ryan. So yeah, Meg Ryan is so important to this genre, especially because of stuff that she did with Nora Ephron later in the 90s, but definitely because of this movie. Um, Billy Crystal and Meg Ryan have such great chemistry, but the thing that I think we have to talk about with this movie is it's one of those movies that's just so in the cultural zeitgeist that I could imagine it even getting annoying for some people. You've got, I'll have what she's having. You've heard it a million times. Uh, it doesn't even mean anything anymore. The The question, can men and women ever be friends with sex getting in, without sex getting in the way? It's a stupid question, and nobody who's smart, I think, really thinks that, but it's talked about all the time in this movie. It, this movie is really, I think, the template that every sitcom about single people became. But instead of going over uh, years and years of episodes and hours of content, it's just done in this hour, 40-minute movie. And I think it's it's done better that way. It's also got Carrie Fisher and Bruno Kirby as their friends who are almost just as cute a couple as Billy Crystal and Meg Ryan are. It's just a movie that you you know so well, even if you haven't seen it. But I think even so, if you haven't seen it, or maybe if you, if you haven't seen it in a long time, it's just such an enjoyable experience. It also, it covers a long time, but a lot of it 
covers in the fall so it has just a great autumn feel which is an atmosphere I love it's got a great score by Harry Connick Jr. I'm a, I'm a big jazz guy personally and I, I really like Harry Connick Jr.'s music so I love the music throughout this movie it's not just him you've also got Louis Armstrong and a lot of other great great music it's a wonderful time to just sit down and watch and I watched it with my wife recently who hadn't seen it and we just we had a wonderful time watching it together and it's it's kind of just the ultimate date movie I'm not sure what else to say about this classic that everyone knows about <laughs> So this was on my list as well. It was, I, I really went back and forth on whether to make it one of my recommendations. And quite honestly, if it hadn't been your wild card, I probably would have done a last minute substitution to talk about it. Because I think if you're talking about romantic comedies, you have to talk about this movie. It, it, it is the template. I consider it happened one night to be the template for every romantic comedy that came in the next 20 years, right? I kind of consider this to be the same. It's the template for every every romantic comedy that came out in the 90s and early 2000s is living under the shadow of When Harry Met Sally. I'm going to sound really negative for a second, so listeners hear me out. It's a completely cliched, predictable movie that you will feel like you have seen a hundred times before. You know Why? Because it did it first, and it did it better. And every movie that you've watched since is just a riff on When Harry Met Sally. Um, And you mentioned Rob Reiner's run. I've mentioned this before on the show, folks, way back when, I think when we recommended A Few Good Men. But just as a reminder, listen to this asshole. 1984, this is Spinal Tap. 1985, The Sure Thing. 86, Stand By Me. 87, Princess Bride. 89, When Harry Met Sally. 90, Misery. 92, A Few Good Men. It's not until he absolutely misfires in 94 with North. And those folks were Rob Reiner's first seven movies. We talk about folks like Quentin Tarantino and Steven Spielberg not taking away from them and the runs they had when they started. Daniel, I'm not sure that there's a director who's had a better run to start his career than Rob Reiner had. I don't know. I mean, maybe if you don't count Dark Star, John Carpenter would be up there, but there's not many. No, I mean, it's all such different genres. You know, we've got a couple romantic comedies with The Sure Thing and When Harry Met Sally. Princess Bride is a romance, but it's also a fantasy. Misery is a full-on horror movie. A Few Good Men's a courtroom drama based on a play. Spinal Tap is a almost a Zucker, Zucker, and Abrams-level parody. Stand By Me is a... Like, these are just completely different movies. At that point, that dude was just running on all four cylinders. I love this recommendation. I'm so glad you brought it up. I love this movie. I'm not the biggest Billy Crystal fan. I think he is never better than he is in this movie. I think, unfortunately, we did Meg Ryan dirty later in her career, because she should have had a much longer, much more impressive career than she did. Uh, But she is just perfect in this. And I'm so glad you mentioned Bruno Kirby and Carrie Fisher. I mean, when you're, you're right. I don't, when you're right, you're right. And I know you're right. I mean, they're just, (laughs) they're, they're perfect. They're so good. Thank you for recommending this one. Anything else you want to add on it? You know, I just hope that all the listeners have heard us talk about these movies and say, I'll have what they're having. Nice. Very well done. Very well done. All right. So for my last one, 
I am going to recommend one that is a lot lesser seen, I think, than some of the ones that we recommended. But I still think it is one of the great romantic comedies of the 80s. It is directed by the absolutely wonderful Martha Coolidge. This will be her second movie in the 20th Century Movie Club because longtime listeners will remember I recommended Real Genius, I think all the way back on maybe the first episode we did. This particular one is 1983's Valley Girl, starring Nicolas Cage in one of his very first performances and Deborah Foreman. Uh, it's essentially a early 80s pop punk remake of Romeo and Juliet. Nicolas Cage plays a punk who lives in the uh, in Hollywood, and Deborah Foreman plays a... I don't even want to say she's a rich girl. She's just a popular girl who lives in the valley. They meet at a party one night, and uh, essentially sparks fly, but their friends aren't on board. It has a absolutely killer soundtrack of early 80s uh, music. Folks who don't know, Daniel's quite a bit younger than me. Uh, this was my time. Uh, the soundtrack of this movie is is at least when I was growing up, uh, you know, because I would have been six when this movie came out. It has an absolutely killer 80s soundtrack. Nicolas Cage is everything that we love Nicolas Cage for with none of the things that I think some people would contend he does poorly. And for those who've never gotten the joy of watching Deborah Foreman in a movie, watch Valley Girl. You're going to have a new favorite actress. She's been one of my favorite actresses my whole life, and I think that this movie is a big part of the reason why. This is the one, Daniel, that I'm not sure you might have seen. Have you seen Valley Girl? Uh, you know, this was absolutely actually on my list. This was one of the movies I was considering for uh, this show, actually. We think a lot alike. Uh, for a long time, this was a movie that, that I like to call uh, one of my great white whale movies, movies that I want to see so bad, but are just kind of hard to see because it wasn't on streaming in any capacity, not to rent, not to buy at all, until very recently. And it had a Shout Factory Blu-ray that always seemed to be around $30 and just would not go down in price. But uh, finally I broke down and I bit the bullet and I bought that Blu-ray. And now after seeing it a few times, cause I do, I, I already love to rewatch this movie. It might be my favorite eighties teen movie. I love it. I, I'm a huge Deborah Foreman fan. Really, that was kicked off by My Chauffeur, which is a great underrated 80s movie that people should check out. But she's also really fun in like the slasher April Fool's Day. Never cuter than in this movie. And I'm a, I'm a big Nicolas Cage fan. And this is Nicolas Cage like you've never seen him before. Even speaking as a straight man who maybe shouldn't even know about this, he's just like the sexiest dude in the world in this movie. I mean, you can't imagine... Deborah Foreman not being incredibly drawn to this guy. Um, so they're both great in the leads. It's just so watchable and so fun. The ending, it's, it's, the end shot is like, the opposite of the end shot of The Graduate and just as good in like different ways. And yeah, you know, I, I am young. I don't have the soundtrack, but I will regularly search up the soundtrack on my Spotify and listen to it because you're right. It's, it's a fantastic soundtrack. So I love this movie. We do think a lot alike, man. Yeah, I'm I'm glad because yeah, and and you're right. Nicolas Cage in this is just I I mean, he was a sex symbol for a reason. 
You know, and, and we talk quite a bit about Nicolas Cage on this podcast and about how people, he's become a meme and stuff like that, which I don't think is entirely fair. What I will say is he was a sex symbol for a very long time and he was a sex symbol for a reason. Um, you can draw a straight line from this movie to Moonstruck, which is another romantic comedy that easily could have been recommended on this show. It, you're right, Daniel, because I love Michael Bowen as an actor, but his character is just such an absolute weenie <laughs> in this movie that you're like, there's no, there's just no way. There's literally no way that Nicolas Cage is not coming out on top in this situation. Movie also stars some other great 80s actors, E.G. Daly, who a lot of people, a lot of horror fans will know from Rob Zombie movies. She was also the voice of Tommy on Rugrats. But in the 80s, she was a, a an actress and pop singer, and a very good one. Michelle Myrink, who would also star in Real Genius. And then I think just one of the best parts of the movie is Colleen Camp and Frederick Forrest as Deborah Foreman's parents. They are, frankly, just a window into the future of uh, a lot of people because they run a health, like a green health food restaurant that is clearly just way ahead of its time now because there's you know vegan restaurants on every corner but they're like also like just frankly the cool parents that we all wish we had or if we're lucky we had i was lucky enough to actually be able to say that i had those parents that's why i can talk about all these movies because i watched a lot of movies i never should have as a kid man i'm glad you love this movie anything else you want to add to it no, I don't think so. Um, it, uh, you know, we'll we'll talk about where you can see these movies now, but I'm so glad it's on streaming now and people can access it. I, I don't know if plugging for other podcasts is cool, but there's an amazing episode of the Dorking Out podcast on this movie, and I that's one of my favorite podcast episodes I've listened to in the past year or so. So uh, that's a great discussion on this. Plugging other podcasts is always cool. I try and plug every podcast I can. I nice. try and plug F This Movie every episode if I can. So again, just random plug, listen to F This Movie. Secondly, plugging the Dorking Out podcast is always going to be okay because Sonia and, and Margo are just absolutely fantastic human beings they're big fans of this show so if you're not listening to the dorking out podcast please do so and especially listen to the episode on valley girl because i agree with you i thought that was one of the best ones they've ever done yeah all right well daniel so as you know we reached the end of the show and we try and tell people where they can see these so we typically use the just watch app or website so tell us where people can see your movies and also since i know you're like me you're a big physical media fan don't hesitate to plug if there's a good physical media version don't hesitate to plug it as well Nice. Okay, so Bringing Up Baby can be rented or bought on pretty much any normal streaming platform, Vudu, Amazon, YouTube, iTunes. Uh, but you can stream it for free on HBO Max, which so far for me has been a pretty great streaming service. I'm really enjoying it. If you have a device that'll actually play it uh i happen to i have a ps4 but it's not on roku which is super weird and then the lady eve can also be rented or purchased on any of those major streaming apps but it's also available on peacock which is a new streaming service that i absolutely scoffed at when i first heard the name because it's ridiculous it's currently free with ads and you can watch the lady eve on there for free just have to put up with a few commercials or you can upgrade to the actual paid version and then you can watch it with no commercials and there is a pretty new criterion release of it uh it's great as 
a lot of great special features and it's probably one of my favorite Criterion original cover arts. That's the main reason I got it. I was so drawn to the cover art. And then when Harry Met Sally, also on, on a little bit less of the major streaming platforms, you can rent it or buy it on Amazon, iTunes. You can only buy it on YouTube or Vudu, but it is also on HBO Max for free if you have that. So that's where you can see all those movies. Yeah, I finally am getting use out of my HBO Max because I had a Roku, but for reasons, namely my home theater PC literally blew up. I bought a Shield uh, I bought a Shield TV, and so now I can actually access HBO Max, and I've been watching the hell out of it. It's definitely worth the subscription price if you have a device that, that can play it. So, for mine, uh, His Girl Friday is pretty much, I believe, in the public domain, so you can literally watch it on any streaming service you want. Uh, That being said, uh, it is on Prime if you have a Prime subscription, which means it won't be ad supported. I do want to shout out that the Criterion Collection disc of it is more than worth the purchase price. Uh, There's a lot of great supplemental features on it and uh, and I think it's well worth it. Uh, While You Were Sleeping is available for rent or purchase on any major streaming service. However, if you have a Disney Plus subscription, it is streaming for free on Disney Plus, uh, which is another one that I uh, like HBO Max that I have gotten a decent amount of value out of. So I, I kind of do recommend Disney Plus, especially because that's the only place you're going to see The Mandalorian. And damn, that show's good. And then Valley Girl is streaming for free on Amazon Prime. It's also available for rent or purchase. Daniel mentioned the Shout Factory Blu-ray of it. I do recommend that. Uh, It fluctuates in price, but unlike a lot of Shout Factory Blu-rays, you're right, Daniel, it's kind of stayed hovering around that $30 price range. Totally worth it. There's enough on it you're going to get your $30 out of. But if you want to check it out first, Prime's going to be the best way to do it. So that is where all the stuff we're talking about is streaming. Uh, As always, those could change. So always check out Just Watch and look them up there first. Daniel, man, thanks for coming on. This was a blast. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I have enjoyed talking about rom-coms so much, and uh, I hope more cinephiles just throw love at the genre because it's deserving. Even the ones that aren't so great, like we said before, can still be a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, if they stick the landing... That's really all I care about. Most most of the time, the only time I don't like at least get some joy out of a romantic comedy is if they flub the end, if they try and get too clever. Uh, I mean, I've seen some real bad ones that I still have affection for because they managed to stick the landing. All right, dude, plug some stuff. Where can people find you? Uh, so you can find me on Twitter at Epler Daniel. Epler is spelled E-P-L-E-R. But you can check out my podcast. It's called Cobwebs, a gothic cinema podcast on all podcasting platforms. If there's one that we're not on, let me know because I'm not aware that it exists. And you can check us out on Twitter and Instagram at Cobwebs Pod. Um, we just now, by the time this post it will be launched, we're, we're doing a series right now on the Dark Castle remakes of the late 90s, early 2000s, as well as the classic films that inspired those. Oh, I've recorded two episodes of it so far. It's really, really fun. So if you think that you might uh, be into that, check us out. Or if you just want to talk more Hammer Horror, hit me up because I'm always uh, down to do that. 
And folks, I can't tell you, I have not heard these episodes yet, but I cannot tell you how excited I am for these episodes because I, uh, Daniel and I have talked on Twitter about my affection for the Dark Castle series of movies that came out in the early 2000s. So I just cannot wait. You can find me, folks, at Hibachi Justice on Twitter, uh, where I predominantly tweet about Scott Adkins. Well, basically, I tweet about Scott Adkins. You can also follow me at at Hibachi Justice on Letterboxd, where you can find a continually updating list of every movie that we've recommended on the 20th Century Movie Club. So if you want to know when we recommended a particular movie in a particular episode, just follow me there and you can find that list. I would be remiss since this is not my podcast. It is Dana Buckler's podcast. If I did not also mention that you can follow the podcast on every major podcast platform. Like Daniel said, if there's one that it's not available on, please reach out to us because we don't know what it is. We're literally everywhere. And you can also follow the show on Twitter at Dana Buckler Show. You can follow us on Facebook. Uh, there's a private uh, group, The Dana Buckler Show. Follow us on Instagram at The Dana Buckler Show. If you want to reach out to us, just email us at the Dana Buckler Show at gmail.com. If you want to find all of those links, go to linktree slash Dana Buckler Show. Thank you for listening. Daniel, thank you again for joining me it was a delight to have you on this show man thank you so much i've loved it so much and uh, i'm excited for people to listen i hope people enjoy yeah i think they will man and uh i am for daniel epler i am mike scott and for dana buckler uh we hope you all have a good night thanks for listening <laughs>